0: Well, good evening, Emmaus Way. Welcome. To the best of our reckoning is January 20th. And that means we're getting right into Epiphany. And also MLK weekend. And so in that spirit... We have two quotes from the late Reverend Doctor to start our time this evening. Both from 1963, in reverse chronological order, but yeah. First, from I Have a Dream speech We have come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. There is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. And then letter from the Birmingham jail. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny, whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Never again can we afford to live with a narrow, provincial, outside agitator idea. Anyone who lives inside the United States can never be considered an outsider. So we listen to those words and reflect on where we are, lo these 50 years later, and we have a lot to reflect upon. Um, But, yeah, we'll be taking those words um, this very topical Sunday into the midst of our epiphany series on kinship, on looking at um, the epiphany lectionary and Jesus and where we're feeling akin to those stories and seeing them as gateways into kinship. Tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about the topic of shame um, and the way that that plays into our ability to realize or not realize kinship. But, yeah, before I go any further into that, where did Rody go? There you are. Oh, you're sitting up. Oh, you rose up. Okay. Um, second week of the Trinity upstairs, younger kids are talking about God the Father, God the Creator, excuse me. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's in there deep. Awesome. Good. Well, you're going to lead us again in this doxology? Thank you.
1: Praise God, all creatures here below.
0: Continue our poll on hymn tunes and the doxology. It doesn't, right. Yeah, because they know it doesn't. So there is a reason for different hymn tunes. I'm not, they're not totally arbitrary. Are look at three That's right. Three different to the same tune though, right? Oh, wow. Wow. Okay, there you go. Hymnody is happening in a serious way upstairs. I will leave you guys to it. Oh, first outside, good. <clears throat> so, um, with that, dismissal of the young folks. Um, things that are happening in Emmaus Way community this week, I will say again, um, by the way of clarification and relocation, that we had plans to have our regular music in the basement Um gatherings that we've been hosting with Calvary UMC this coming tomorrow MLK evening, but then we ultimately decided not to do that simply because there was a musical MLK event that uh, our musicians, some of them, were involved in, I guess, last night. And then there's, as there always are, like a whole host of MLK weekend events all around Durham, one of which is happening at Mount Level um, Missionary Baptist Church up north of town. What's the address at Mount Level? I remember, what road is it on? Does anybody remember? Yeah. Anyway, it's it's yeah, it's yeah, up north of town, north of 85, near, nearest Roxborough. Um, that starts at 6, and so we didn't want to duplicate that, but if you are looking for a place to, yeah, worship alongside a Durham Can congregation um, in commemoration of this MLK holiday, that would be a good place to do it tomorrow night. Anything else? What do you have? yeah, we have table groups starting, Molly? Yes.
2: Yeah, and Dr. Turner's preaching. He's the recently retired longtime homolytics professor and was one of the students that integrated Duke University. Um so he yeah, it's worth your time if you um, are looking for a meaningful service. Tomorrow night at six, I think. Oopsie. Uh, yes, table groups are starting. If you have not heard from someone about a table group, um, or this is a friendly reminder if you're coordinating them. Um, if you could reach out to your folks this week, if you haven't heard from a table group by Friday, just let somebody on staff know and we will follow up. If you are newer to the community and kind of have come in, in the new year and would like to connect to a table group, um, please let someone on staff know and we will happily be connected. The hope is that these groups meet at least two times, if not three, before Lent begins. um they were really well received in the fall and folks asked for them again so we're coming around tables and just being in kinship and bearing witness um, with one another so Uh,
0: what else Community wise. Sarah,
3: yeah, please. Um, Brett was incredible enough to get me a weekend away um, for my birthday at Well Mercy Retreat Center that I just took this weekend. And I just want to let
2: anybody know who's interested in taking their own retreat that it was an incredible place to do so. And people mm-hmm. were so welcoming. It's just $90 a night, and that includes your lunch and your dinner. But um, kind of lets you do what you want, or you can ask for a spiritual direction while you're there,
3: you can get a massage while you're there. They have an
2: art room. They have a lab They have indoor and outdoor fireplaces. It's kind of an incredible space. So mm-hmm. I highly recommend Can it. Can you it's say really it again? Accessible. I didn't give the name of it. It's called Well of Mercy. Okay. It's
3: just beyond Eastern mm-hmm. Salem, so it's a little over two hours from here. Yeah. So I would highly recommend it if you're thinking this would be a good time to go in the New Year, or like you know next year. Like I need some place to go. So.
1: Thank
0: you. Great. Great use of the announcement space, too. Wow, I love it. Leaning in. Anybody else? Yeah, Charles.
4: There's a benefit concert at Cat's Cradle Backroom uh, this coming Friday for Tim Carlos, who's a Hameis Way musician. He lost his studio, and there's a lot of damage to his home in the hurricane flame. Um So it's, it's a free show, but donations are accepted to help Tim out. And uh, he has a GoFundMe as well for that um, hardship. And one of the uh, have the, one of the artists performing is going to be Anne Claire, who's also a occasional Amos Way guest musician.
0: That's fantastic, and I, yeah, that was slipped my mind. But I actually sent an email around that around about that this past week. Um, yeah, with the link, and I'll maybe try and do that again this week sometime. Um, y- yeah, you wouldn't know it to like talk to Tim Carlos, but it's been a rough. Yeah, it's been a rough year. So others. Yeah, Joy.
3: I totally missed what Molly was saying about somebody preaching.
2: Oh, it's Dr. Turner, William Turner's preaching at the NLK church service tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. And I'll let you show you Dr. So,
5: yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I did. A housekeeping item. Uh, we are going to be sending out tax uh, contribution statements in this upcoming week. We're going to try to do some little difference here and send out email ones if we can, save us a little bit of uh, postage and uh, time work on that. Uh, so keep keep your eye out for that in the next week or so and then uh, back into that. As always, uh, your contributions are needed and welcome to help us get our budget as we head towards the back half of our budget year, which ends May 31st. Um, you know, it's always... Uh, as we head toward this last day, keeping an eye on that, we'll be sending out some emails in the near term, kind of where we are tracking towards it. But uh, if you do not know how to get, you can give them the silver or metallic phone back or on our website uh, <coughs> to get there. All
0: right? I'm not going to ask for any more because that was great. Good job, announcement people, community. Uh, I, I, I feel like I've been asking for random announcements for weeks without anything, and then there you go. I just broke it tonight. Okay. Uh, another practice we've been, yeah, doing, starting an advent again. We're planning to maybe continue this in some form, uh, in an ongoing way, is to have a community question, just to sort of open the space, um, to more of a sort of general joys and concerns, but certainly tied in some way to the conversation we're having, together, um, an epiphany. But the past couple of weeks, we've asked about kinship, where you've noticed kinship as a, a incoming light or something to that effect. Uh, we want to ask tonight, maybe to turn it in a different way. What are some barriers to kinship that you've noticed in your walk through the world this week? This could be something, a personal barrier that you've come up against, um, something you're noticing at work. Certainly, if you want to look at the broader world, there's plenty of opportunities on display. So, yeah, something you're carrying with you and as we're thinking about kinship, or you've noticed barriers in that this
6: week. disagreement. Are we sissing them Yeah yeah please
1: <laughs> um the associating pain that real vulnerability would take mm-hmm. Yeah thanks
0: Matt It's easy to prize vulnerability in other folks yeah yeah
3: that's kind of similar to what I was thinking kind of almost like if I I'm pretty open, but for such newer relationships, if I open up about this, what's that going to mean for the work I'm going to have to do? Mm -hmm. So almost like avoiding certain connections to avoid having to do whatever work might be internally difficult. Mm
0: -hmm. These are great others. Barriers to
4: I think lately a lot of the people like I live my life with and me also are just uh, kind of exhausted and um, like too exhausted to be present with one another and every exchange feels like there's a, a thin layer of stuff we just have to get done but like we don't have much energy for anything.
7: in a phase of life that necessitates other humans alive. So having kids, um, it's just different. you know, I kind of was able to spend some time to get to, together today with some really close friends, but in some ways it feels like you're not even together. We're just all separately. We're together. We're just also trying to keep these kids alive and fed and from getting hurt. And, uh, so you just don't get to communicate in the same way. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just different and trying to figure, yeah, just trying to figure out how to
0: navigate that. Uh, yeah, the cold that Rowan gave me this week is a certain sort of kinship, but, yeah, it's got its limitations. So Yeah, yeah I hear this and so many of what you're saying, but the, but the extent to which we seem to have decided, we in a collective societal sense, that it's not possible right like we, we've set so many yeah just watching the world unfold whether you know in interactions around town or like you know more nationally and just we've made it really hard to imagine that we might find each other again in, in every conceivable way so when you start to think about something like vulnerability yeah over what
5: and I'll uh, give sort of a, a, a joy in this space. Uh, a friend from college who I had not been in touch with in, in years, and I kind of was with him for some tough times during his uh, college years, and we sort of lost touch, and he messaged me out of the blue this week and said he's going to be in town for work, and we were able to meet up, and, and it was really, it was, it was joyful to have a, a chance to get back and hear how he was doing. And, I mean, it took him though, you know, reaching out, and. I had a message him in, you know, years, uh, but he could go to
1: town and reach out and it was, it was wonderful.
0: Thanks, Dave. We'll end that there with some joy and possibility. And I'm going to invite up uh, our... You're just a friend now. You're not, like, even new. You're just a friend. Come on Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I was going to say new friend, but I was like, that's not new. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I want to make sure, Adam, that you say a little bit about these first three songs, which I think are all, you know, moving around. We had a conversation about them. I love them. And, yeah, there's like, there's shame in here. There's relationality in here. There's, yeah. Okay. So there you go. There's your prompt.
4: Great. Um, all right, I'll do my best some of the reasons that we chose these songs are that they sit a little uh, unevenly with the text we're reading today and I think that opens up some space for us to kind of walk through what shame and kinship can mean together Uh, but this first one we I kind of thought it was funny that we're talking about Jesus turning water into wine and we could sing a song called The Magician um but also that I think this whole album by Andy Schaff is about uh, maybe his personal anxiety in party settings. The album is called The Party. Um, and that's something I've identified with at different points in my life. Um, so I like, yeah, I like that kind of sense. So... <laughs>
6: A little easier each time you make it disappear. Oh, fools, magician bends the rules as the crowd watches his every move. Just a shaking hand without. It is
4: This song by His Golden Messenger. To be honest, I've just been waiting for a, a chance to do this song here. Uh, but also, I think there's some real self-loathing in the song, and a real request from from the singer to the one he's singing to, to reassure him that he's uh, that they're okay. That kind of, did I carry my piece of, a fu- of the fire, seems like a really, did I do enough for the community? Did I, like, participate enough in the community? Um, so in that sense. There's also this great call and response aspect to this song. If you know it, and know the call and response part, I invite you to respond. Um, and if you don't, you can guess.
6: We'll pretend all we wanna, yeah, tomorrow I'll be on my way. Oh, sing me a river, river. go easy on me, I'm not doing too well. Do you hate hate me, honey, as much as I hate myself? Oh, heart like a levy Heart like a levy. I swing for the mountains in double time Is it too heavy, honey? Did I carry my piece of the fire? Standing in the wake With the sky still changing What's it gonna take? To keep you missing The rambling rain With a heart of obsidian Standing in the way With the sky still changing Oh, sing me a river Sing me a river I'm a Peachtree jumper With rain in my shoes If you let me honey. Let me hunt, I'll set the world on fire for you Oh, sing me a summer. Oh, that Cincinnati moon, like a wheel in the sky Shows two roads, honey huh? Tell me which one leads to mine And sing, little sisters, be patient with me when I don't have a rhyme. Will you grieve me, honey? Did you give me a reason to try? Standing in the way, with the sky still changing, what's it gonna take? to keep you from taking this so serious, I know the dead are raging, standing in the way, yes I've seen the changes, oh heart like a levee, heart like a levy, I swing for the mountains, double time, did you hear me running? Did I carry my piece of the
4: fire? And uh, for this next one. What? It could be about Jesus. I've read it as if it's about Jesus before. Um, I've never really known how to make sense of the verses on this song. But I like the idea that it's about Jesus kind of wandering through meeting all these uh, kind of indiscernible strangers and then making requests of him and his response being take a load off. Um, I like that idea.
6: Pulled the Nazareth Just feeling about a half past dead Just need to find a place Where I can lay my head Oh, mister, can you tell me Where a man can find a bed? He just grinned and shook my hand And no know this all he said Take a load off, Annie. Take a load for free. Take a load off, Annie. And you put the load right on. free, take, take a load, load off Annie and put the load right on me, on me. go down Miss Moses, ain't nothing that you can say cause it's just old Luke and Luke is waiting on the judgment day well now Luke my friend what about young Annalie he said to me a favor son won't you stay and keep Annalie company take a load off Annie take a load for free take a load off Annie load right on me crazy Chester followed me and he caught me in the fall said I would fix your right if you take Jack my dog
5: I said wait a minute Chester you know I'm a peaceful man said that's okay boy
6: won't you feed him when you can take a load off Annie. take Such a cannonball To take me down the line Cause my bag is sinking low And I do believe it's time To get back to Miss You know she's the only one Who sent me here with her gods For everyone Take a load off Fanny Take a load for free. Take a load off, Fanny and
2: Thanks so much adam and mona and charles for those songs of prep and thanks to all of you for your really thoughtful um honest responses to the where have you experienced barriers of kinship this week um we are on our third week of our epiphany and kinship series um and for the past two weeks we've been looking a lot at light right kinship as this new way of light and being um But as I was thinking, and staff, and just having different conversations with you all, I've realized that reclaiming kinship is really hard. Um, And I think we know sort of what to do or what to make of our emphasis this year, more so with bearing witness. But whenever it comes to reclaiming kinship, um, there's some hesitancy, perhaps fear, being overwhelmed, not totally being sure where to dive in or how. Um, And so, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Um, But first, we're going to quickly pass the peace. So share the peace of Christ with someone that maybe you know or haven't seen in a while or maybe have never met. Grab some coffee and water, and then we will get back here in just a couple of minutes. All right. Um if everybody would kind of turn back toward the uh, middle. Um Yeah. So good to see you all. Um And so as I was thinking about this Sunday and sort of thinking about us being kind of halfway through um this kinship series um I was reflecting, right, on this past Tuesday would have been MLK's 90th birthday, and tomorrow our country observes um, MLK's life and legacy, and I think we reflect and grieve um, how we have not, um, so much of MLK's dream and work is still a very far reality, unfortunately. And, um, I just started thinking about how MLK's work, um, on brotherhood, and that we are all a part of the same destiny and connected, how kinship runs throughout that. And yet, if I'm being honest, maybe, um, it's just me, and I'm the only skeptic, um, it seems really, really hard to imagine that we possibly could lift our country out of the quicksand in which we find ourselves and move us from all these systemic injustices to a solid rock of brotherhood. Especially when just yesterday, right, you see this horrible video of teenagers taunting a Native American elder. And it just seems like reclaiming kinship is so far away. And yet, it's really at the heart of the gospel. It's at the heart of King's work. And I just really began To wonder and ask myself, and I want to ask you all, I'm kind of going back to barriers and what Ben had talked about, why is it, do you think, that we kind of feel it's completely impossible to actually reclaim kinship? Why is it that perhaps I, some of us maybe even gathered here, can hear the words of King, that we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny and still think, oh, what a dream, but not imagine that we could reclaim kinship and that actually be reality. What other barriers, lived realities, skepticisms, What kind of do you think keeps us um, from actually reclaiming kinship? Throwing that out to y'all. Don't expect us to solve solve it, but I would really love for us to talk about it.
1: I think a lack of a commitment to truthfulness.
2: A lack of a commitment to truthfulness. Thanks, Brand. I think
3: it's our
1: pride.
2: Pride? What do you mean by that, Joy? Um,
3: You just you just don't know how how you're you're reaching out of to receipt. so it's easier not to mm. because if you're rejected, um, that just makes you mm.
2: So that yeah, that's all. <laughs> Thanks, Joy. Others.
1: Comfort. Comfort to sit in a place where we're comfortable and may not, uh, instead of like stretching harder to, mm-hmm. to make relationships and make things that, you know, building, building that tension in the moment is a harder thing. Yeah. So it's more comfortable to sit in the easy.
2: It's more comfortable to sit in the easy than build towards something that's hard and takes work. Yeah. Others? It's kind of like, I think
3: maybe Moody posted the King quote about negative peace versus positive yeah. peace. And that's kind of what's been resonating, like, everything's fine as long as nothing has to change. Yeah. But for a whole lot of people, nothing changes. is literally death all the yeah. time. So, so I have to sit here and be okay with, so everybody feels good. Like, yeah. you know, so many people want that. They don't want to feel bad. Yeah
1: at the expense of other people who never get to feel
8: good yeah it's so true it's so so true thanks a lot yeah okay, Molly I could mm-hmm. riff off of that I think what Alon says is like spot on but I think part of the reason um, people are okay with a negative piece is because something my classmates and I have been talking about a bunch lately is like how individualistic, like American culture, trains us to be. I know we've talked about that before here, and and with that comes a kind of, if I'm okay, I'm not going to worry about other people, and so that, that's a it's a barrier that you know we've lost a kind of a collective sense of engaging with each other, helping each other. Um,
2: and I would add to that, right? Like it's a certain. <laughs> subset of humanity right and of our society that we are able to live such individual individualistic lives that we haven't unless we willingly seek it out have to be in community but yeah thanks what were you going to say ben
0: yeah For all three, yeah externality right we've told ourselves that the costs of our lack of kinship can be externalized that they completely put on somebody else right what I have will come at your cost, and I can lament that, but that's what... And in doing that, I think we forget the inevitable costs, mm-hmm. right? We, we don't count our own psychic toll, we don't count what it costs our souls, what it counts our spirits to throw so much material externality
4: mm-hmm. on the idea that you can be not okay and I can be okay.
1: Yeah. Hey.
4: I think also there may be a sense that um, we're not good at bearing one another's pain, mm-hmm. that some of us are particularly bad at bearing, or bearing witness to, to folks' pain, and acknowledging our participation in the creation of that pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so talking about it in the abstract feels good and feels like we're letting ourselves off the hook a little bit. It
2: feels safe, it's safer, yeah. yeah.
4: But, um, but yeah, like actually actually confronting and, and beyond just acknowledgment, but like bearing witness to it and being changed by it seems like an important thing that, uh, yeah, I don't feel like we're very skilled at it often.
2: Thanks, Adam. So as I've been thinking, I um, was thinking a lot of similar thoughts <laughs> and I kind of wondered, um, just sort wondering, like, what's at the root of it, right? Is there something that's at the root of this that is um, a, bar- a really large barrier to, that we aren't wanting to deal with, that individually, collectively, as communities. Um, and I just started thinking about shame, and, um, Because I really find shame interwoven into the fabric of our country. I find shame interwoven in the fabric into a lot of our um, religion and ways of being taught um, that so many of us are trying to undo. And I was thinking about how this time last year we were like diving into capitalism and faith and how notions of individualism kept on coming up, how there was shame around money, <laughs> there was shame around, I think, a lot of people um, kind of having settled into being okay with negative peace, right? And what, I don't really know what to do with it. I'm naming that I'm okay with it and I think it's probably wrong that I'm okay with it but the time and energy and work that it would take to like be vulnerable and push like work through shame and work through shame together and say I am not okay if you aren't okay and actually mean it that's that's a really tall order especially when I just will never forget Christine right when she said capitalism. It's like the air we breathe. We don't see it, but it's there. And just kept on thinking about how I think shame is like so much like the air we breathe, right? We don't see it, but it's there. And so I'm curious, and this is a risk because you all could tell me that I am totally wrong and way off, and shame does not play into this. But reflecting on your life, how do you see, or do you have an experience where shame has kept you um, or inf- inflicted your ability to find kinship or reclaim kinship?
3: I think it's like a shame-fear one to, to punch sometimes. <laughs> like, especially if you maybe missed that. Mm-hmm. Like in like the reclaiming, yeah. Then you might feel ashamed, yeah, or shame around whatever previous kind of interaction. Mm-hmm. And then also, it's kind of along with what Joy was saying, right? Like, I don't want to get re-rejected, or I don't want to have to confront how that other person might feel about something I'm shamed about. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think shame is not alone yeah. here. I think you
7: might be learning something about shame. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? About? Um I know like for me, shame has really defined my self of who I who I am, you know. <laughs> there are certain things that happen in your past that kind of shape and form how you see yourself in relationship to other people. Yeah. And then when somebody else comes and begins to threaten that sense of <clears throat> your, who, how you see yourself, and who you think you are, like it begins to, make you, it makes you really uncomfortable. Yeah. And, um, so I think there's something to that. you know trying to avoid the elephant room, which is just like shame. Yeah.
2: That's so true. Thanks,
1: Rita. All
2: right, and shame, um, it's a lot easier to just avoid it, right? It's a lot easier to, like, avoid or not engage the one-two punch that might come. Um, I am no Brene brown like fan or like flag waver I know there are a lot of those and I am not one um, just for the record but I do appreciate how um, she articulates shame and shame's implication Uh, she defines shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. She goes on to say, I don't believe shame is helpful or productive. In fact, I think shame is much more likely to be the source of destructive, hurtful behavior than the solution or cure. I think the fear of disconnection shame causes makes us dangerous. And some scholars in today's text, it is not from Luke 2, it's from John 2, Jesus' first sign. Um, there are some scholars that say at the heart of the miracle, at the heart of the sign, why Jesus performed the sign, um, was rooted and was situational to shame. Um, so would someone read John 2 for us?
1: On the third day of the wedding, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to visit. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to
6: him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to give them to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of the Each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to them,
1: Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them,
6: Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone search the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Canaan, Galilee, and revealed his
1: glory, and his disciples.
2: Thanks so much, Brian. So um, some background about this text is at the etiquette of weddings during this time often were that um that the person throwing the party would bring wine, but also the guest would bring wine to help supplement, right? Not too far off from probably many parties that we attend, right, and find ourselves. So it was a BYOW affair. Um, but the disciples, the mother of Jesus and Jesus, um, many of them were poor, right? Really poor. And... So scholars think that they did not show up with wine because those in the lower class often did not have access. And yet, regardless of income level, the disciples and Jesus' mother and Jesus and perhaps even others there partook, right? They imbibed in the wine. It's a party. It's a celebration. They were having a good time. And then Jesus' mother realizes they have no wine. And in that statement, she's naming, they have no wine, Jesus, and it's probably kind of because of us, right? Like we, this could be a big party foul. And after Jesus dismisses his mother, rather curtly, there's a lot of debate on that interaction. I encourage you to go read some commentaries about it. Um, But after that curt dismissal, Jesus takes these stone jars and makes hundreds of gallons of wine. Like hundreds of gallons. No Trader Joe two-buck Chuck that we drink at the communion table either, right? Like this was fine wine. And so scholars and as I was, really say that in that moment, right, by the disciples and Jesus' mother and Jesus himself initially not having wine to offer, there was a break in kinship and a break in relationship, and there was great shame there. And Jesus is basically saying, no, that's not the case, right? Right? Shame is not going to define us. Shame is not going to define my ministry. Shame is not going to define the kingdom. But abundance is. And meeting people (laughs) where they are is. That shame in the kingdom of God will not have the last word. From an economic perspective, from an interpersonal and interrelational perspective, shame does not have the last word in this miracle. Of this miracle, Gallo Day um, asserts it is a miracle of abundance, of extravagance, of transformation and new possibilities. The grace the miracle offers and the glimpse of Jesus' glory it provides run outside conventional expectations and places the reader at odds with how we thought the world was ordered, shame, and all. The interpretive task is not to put this miracle in a framework in which it makes sense, but to free us to receive the extraordinary gifts of abundance, extravagance, transformation, new possibilities this miracle offers. What would happen if we actually believed this miracle was true, and that shame was not to hold us captive, but that abundance, extravagance, transformation, and new possibilities were the way we are invited to live? What might reclaiming kinship look like if we actually believed that, rather than holding ourselves and being held hostage by our shame and our destructive, hurtful behavior that is born out of our shame? what might reclaiming kinship look like if we actually think this miracle, this sign is true? Anybody? Like, what might be a first step for us?
3: Something I never noticed before about the story, and maybe I need to go read those commentaries about Jesus' interaction with his mom, but it reads to me, I never noticed that like his mom prompted yeah. it. Like he, he had no intention to yeah. doing this sign, but his mom knew he could. Mm-hmm. And I think, and that's why I kind of like, I don't know, I didn't read this to Kirk, because I could imagine, like, mom.
2: Like, yeah, you know, for <laughs> sure.
3: For sure. Wow, I nobody's asking for all this. And um, she's like, they have no wife, right? Like, yeah. think I know you can do? <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. You <laughs> like mind your business, and then he goes and does it, right? Like, mm-hmm. so I think part of what I took from that is maybe the importance of people giving us a nudge. Yeah. Right, like even if it's something you maybe aren't ready to do yeah. or don't want to do or filled with all sorts of other emotions or feelings around what the implications of that action are, Because this was the first, yeah. Which I'm also wondering like, she knew, wasn't the first, it's probably first public, but (laughs) yeah, like, um, I mean, this is like the kickoff Mm -hmm. with a lot of implications, yeah. Um, but he needed a nudge, yeah. And so, I guess that's kind of what I saw, like, reclaiming kinship and moving past shame or fear or whatever else. Um, maybe not ignoring the nudges. Yeah.
2: Even yeah. if we're reluctant. Yeah, right? Because Jesus wasn't like, woohoo, right? There was reluctance there, and yet his mother nudged him and he responded. And I think um, I really resonated with Adam's, right? Sort of a barrier is exhaustion to kinship, and how, what a nudge can do. Even just rereading this gospel text and me, like, asking myself this week, do I really believe this sign happened and is continuing to happen? And just naming that question and being like, yeah, how that in and of itself is a nudge toward the possibility of reclaiming kinship. Others. What? Yeah.
8: I am sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was going to say, I liked I never thought of it as. I mean, the way you mentioned is, you know, the, the narrative here being primarily about shame and about a barrier, or at least that the, not, not being able to be YOW uh, to the wedding party is kind of a barrier. And so, in essence, maybe a takeaway about shame is that, you know, in order to allow everyone to participate at the table or at the celebration, in this case, it's about removing that, that barrier, that socioeconomic barrier of not being able to bring yeah. wine. And so it kind of, kind of, Gives us the clue that the only way we're going to be able to reclaim kinship may be addressing barriers to so truly true, joining right? in. I mean, it goes back to the yeah. capitalism talk, a lot of stuff we've talked about. So the
2: kinship, kinship, and working on the removal of barriers and systemic injustice are so interwoven. Right, you can't separate them. Yeah. Thanks for that, Tim.
7: Yeah. It's also interesting because I, I don't remember how the other gospels talk about this story.
2: They don't. Only John tells the story. That's why I love John and his signs. So, yeah.
7: I think it's interesting that, like, it's not a story, not really. I mean, it's about Jesus, but it's not really. Yeah. Like, he's almost in the background. Yeah. Like, and it just seems like the only people that knew were his, mother and his six servants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, because then John is kind of telling the reader that Jesus did this. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's not, it's not a quote. So, it's just interesting to see this person that, yeah, like Tim St. Cree kind of like maybe leveled the playing field and made this kind of big, maybe maybe it's a big socioeconomic socioeconomic move, but also just uh, bring some level of hospitality. It's kind of sitting in the background and not, didn't take this big role. Um, It wasn't about about him.
2: And I think what's right, so remarkable about John's gospel and this first sign and for us is John, um, not that John doesn't care about those who are with Jesus, but really John at the heart of it is wanting the reader to see and believe and come to know that God, that Jesus is God and that a new way and a new inbrinking is here and continues to be here through the advocate, right, as he calls the Holy Spirit. And so um, That's, I think, why I, yeah, Brett. Like, read this. Like, not a lot of people knew, in that moment, what was happening. They were like, "Oh yeah," I mean, because probably they were probably pretty toasty, and then they just got more wines. They were really happy. They didn't care. But it's really important, I think, to the reader, to us, and how we internalize and process and wonder: How is this sign a nudge for us? Right? How is it in this present day a nudge to push past? shame, fear, exhaustion, the risk of vulnerability, comfortability, and actually say, whoa, the living God, we proclaim and say we're captivated by, did this and still does this. How does our reclaiming kinship fit in? Yeah, Elizabeth. I I love that because as I
3: was sitting here and listening to how we were processing this, a lot of it was, like, you know, how do we do what Jesus did? Like, how do we um, receive the nudge and then do? Or how do we break down socioeconomic barriers? And for me, like, you know, my shame does get in the way of kinship. And... The way that I was reading it was not that I could do what Jesus did, but that my shame can somehow miraculously be overcome by God being present. So like, I don't turn the water in line, but somehow my shame can be overcome by something beyond me. And, um, because, I mean, that's really
2: the only way I can imagine Right, and not only can be, but already has been, right? That our shame um, has been and can continue to be um, changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for that, Elizabeth. And then freeze us up. Um, I reread the letters, letter from Birmingham jail this week. Um, and it's written to southern white moderate clergy. And while I would like to think of myself, and I am progressive clergy, because, heck, I'm a woman, just to begin with, so that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. But I'm clergy nonetheless, and white nonetheless, and every time I read um, read this letter, I am haunted and disturbed, and I think I feel a lot of shame when I read this letter, um, and especially with this passage toward the end. MLK writes, We will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the vitriolic words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. We must come to see that human progress never rolls in on wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts and persistent work of human beings being willing to be co-workers with God. And without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. I think that each of us whenever it comes to reclaiming kinship. Have something in reclaiming kinship in a way that names how God has broken in and has turned the world on its head and continues to break in. Um, I think each of us has something that keeps us silent and keeps us from wanting to reclaim kinship. Maybe not each of us. I do. And I think, what does it mean to believe that this sign is true and that there are still nudges and there are still so many people on the margins and there is still water into wine that needs to be had? And how are we going to respond? And how are we going to see God at work and come alongside God at work? Um, I was really moved reading about Nathan Phillips' response um, to what happened yesterday. And he's the Native American elder that the teenagers were taunting. Um, And he said, I heard them saying, build that wall, build that wall, build that wall. He began to cry, said, this is indigenous lands. You know we're not supposed to have walls here. We never did for millenniums before anyone else came here. We never had walls. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, That energy of their chanting could be turned into the feeding of people, the cleaning up of our communities, and figuring out what else we can do. We need people to be doing that instead of saying, these guys are our enemies. And while I don't think that we here are saying these guys or those guys are our enemies or that we here are actively believing and chanting in walls of any kind, I do think that our shame and these barriers that are keeping us from kinship are taking up a lot of energy when what is needed is to believe that the miracle is true. And to believe that reclaiming kinship is possible because God is at work and we are co-workers alongside God. Um, And that we don't do it alone. Um, Yeah. I think reclaiming kinship is really hard. I think it's a lot easier in some ways to bear witness to say and see someone as your kin. But I don't think we can bear witness without it. So I want to leave you with this last question just to ruminate on. What is one place you want to place your energy and miracle hope What is one place where you want to be open to see the nudge in reclaiming kinship for the rest of Epiphany over this next month? Just what's one place? Aren't having to reclaim kinship with the whole world in this moment, but what's one place where you want to place your energy not toward shame or fear or comfortability or negative peace or the status quo, but where you want to place energy and miracle hope and a nudge to reclaim kinship? That is the question I'm wrestling with, and I'm thankful to be wrestling with it and discerning that answer in community with you. Adam and band, come on up.
4: So, as Molly was finishing up and kind of tying together some pieces that I'm not sure I had tied together before, Um, a new song of absolution came to my mind. I was curious about how we felt if we, we didn't sing Yusuf today, but we sang a different one. Is that okay with everybody? I love Peace Train so much. We can sing it afterwards, but there's another song that I think would be more fitting. So. But first, maybe the most like dark confessional song we've sung, or it's I've the sung. One we practiced, right? Yeah, this is the one we practiced. Yeah, that's a great question. What is the song? <laughs> Thank you. Shame. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, um, the title is When the Wall Comes Down by His Golden Messenger.
6: What you got to do is melt them down, melt them down. Turn them into tools and make the garden on the prison grounds. Turn your chains to roses, child. I'll tear it down, I'll tear it down. I'll step back, Jack, from the dark. I'm going to sing just like a song, What you going to do when the hunger's gone, when the hunger's gone? I'll pity the child that goes without, that goes without. i give him no reason to falter. like a songbird Oh, while I'm here
1: I'm
6: gonna sing just like a songbird And what you gonna do when the wall comes down When the wall comes down What you gotta do is let it Lie, or let it lie. And in the gathering darkness, round to never go back. It was built by man, and you can tear it down. Or oh, tear it down, or oh, tear, oh, tear it down. oh step back, Jack, from the darkness.
0: Tim whispered in my ear, it's quite accurate. I assure you, as of three to four minutes ago, this table invite will include nothing about Peace Train. (laughs) 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 That's that's kind of why I was asking your permission. Uh, Forgiveness, you know. (laughs) Forgiveness, that's what you're asking for, not permission. Yeah, it's It's still there. No, I want to talk about, I talked last week about um, immersive kinship, um, of the shameless kinship that this table might be narrating to us. A kinship, a relationship beyond shame. What would a shameless kinship look like? And what might this table be saying to us about it? I think if we listened for that, we might hear something about boldness. That this is a table so shameless as to declare and claim kinship's reality in the midst of blood violence and pain. That spaces where there seems to be no good where the most visionary of our kinfolk who've given us a glimpse of what might yet be are cut down by the hate of the world that would rather kill them than be made whole. This table declares a shameless, bold kinship that believes these very spaces are a way to redemption breaking in. I think another way in which this table is telling us about a shameless kinship is it's inviting us to a shameless joy that looks at the harsh reality of the world as it is and smiles and dreams, invites us get so bold as to imagine there might be something like a peace train around the corner. I think that this table reveals to us a kinship so bold, so improbably joyful that it defies our shame, that it says to our fear that we will never be enough, of course not. How would you ever be enough? And that says at the same time, step back just for a moment from the darkness and imagine what you might do right now right here if the wall came down so that's the table I invite you to tonight to pour wine or juice for each other to share bread or a gluten-free cracker and to say the body of Christ the blood of Christ the love and light and peace of Christ for you my brother for you my sister stepping back from the darkness waiting for the walls to fall and being so shameless as to believe that those things are possible in the here and now welcome to the table